Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of Jaffa Joffrey to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the appeal to fiction fallacy. So regular listeners may be aware that every 11 episodes, (laughs) I, I will insert a fallacy that can't usually be found in lists online because it's one that i've yeah. made up slash identified in the wild identified yeah it's not identified it's not made it <laughs> and, up <laughs> and and named and and i like to do that yeah. and so episode 88 is coming up and i've yeah. been thinking well what the hell am i going to do this time because yeah. in the yeah. past it, it's kind of occurred to me as we go along and i've written it down and said oh yeah we'll do that on one of our one of our 11 episodes and this time i identified i thought a new fallacy yeah based on a few things right. that I'd thought about recently. and What did you call it? Uh, I, I called it the appeal to fiction fallacy Oh, okay. um, yeah. in my notes. Yeah. And then I looked yeah. that up just to see in case anyone yeah. had called something Whether else it's... completely different by the same name. Right. Uh, yeah, turns yeah. out, yeah. Um, yes, this, people have written this down before. They, Not... they call the, the same <laughs> thing. The same exact the same, same yeah. name. Including oh, some oh, of the okay. same examples that I'd already thought. Oh, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, ah. so yeah, I didn't come, well, it just I didn't goes come up to with show this one. That we're, you're a thought leader in the field. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, what yeah. It is. yeah. So, yeah, this isn't in some of the lists that you'll see because I hadn't heard of it before. But it is if you look around, you can find it. And the appeal yeah. to fiction is when people try to use a fictional situation scenario mm-hmm. to give evidence for or back up an argument that they're making about the real world. Right. Yeah, and obviously the flaw in that is it's fucking fictional. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> so, made up; it doesn't exist. Yeah, so that yeah. isn't a great argument to back up your your claims. So yeah. our first example from Trump, uh, we haven't actually talked about before, and it's when ah. he made claims like this: they have unbelievable vehicles. They make a lot of money. They have the best vehicles you can buy. They have stronger, bigger, and faster vehicles than our police have, and then ICE has, and then. Border Patrol has. So they're pretty good at that. They have areas that they go to. It's like a highway. And we have to close them up. And if we don't close them up, you're all kidding yourself. Look, we can all play games. But a wall is a necessity. So he's talking there about human trafficking. Coyotes, as as they are sometimes called, who have these amazing vehicles better faster than the police than border protection than than customs yeah and so they can you know outrun outdrive all those people they tie up women in the back seat and put duct tape around their mouths yeah and and all these kinds of things that he's been talking about and what we found uh, or it wasn't yeah. to be fair us what we read about was yeah. was that someone identified a lot of the things that he was saying about the the coyotes um, yeah. didn't actually have anything to do with reality at all, if you talk to anyone who knows anything about human trafficking, especially across the southern border, but did bear a striking yeah. resemblance to a <laughs> film called Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado, uh, which was a yeah. sequel to Denis Villeneuve's uh, original Sicario. 
and yep. the coyotes in that film having like super rocket powered cars and and stuff like right. that they had right. there was a scene in there Brought where out hummers the, yeah there was a scene where they yeah. had uh the, the kind of the muslim terrorists who were coming into the country had left their prayer mats in the desert right. near the border and trump retweeted a, a tweet about how they'd found prayer mats out in the desert which no one no. was ever able to verify, but was no, definitely was from the film. He lifted from the movie. <laughs> wow! So it makes you kind of wonder. Well, when he was, you know, sitting in the the bedroom in the White House upstairs, um, at all, with all his screens on, whether he couldn't actually tell which was the news and which was fiction. Yeah, he's got CNN going on. Yeah, it all blends going into on one another, and then the movie channel going on the other. Yeah, so it all kind of blends it. So he's just going. I saw this oh my thing. God. It was incredible. They had really fast cameras. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. And let's just hope he's never watched District Nine or anything <laughs> like that. They're aliens, and they come in, and they they're floating over South South Africa. But yeah, the, these these fact patterns that he keeps talking about are not yeah. identified by anyone who actually works in the in that kind no. of area um and in but fact in the area of yeah. reality <laughs> the, yeah yeah and um yeah. and the washington post uh, pointed out that they looked at um 570 cars that were impounded by customs and border protection yeah. and they were mostly um knackered old saloons but from fif- about 15 years old with a median value of two and a half thousand dollars so <laughs> not super fast of course no. You could say that that is just a kind of survivorship bias thing, and that was only the ones they impounded. Yeah, yeah. Whereas all the super fast ones, they, yeah. yeah, they couldn't catch, catch them. them. So yeah, yeah. So that's not. I, I can't say for certain that there weren't rocket-powered cars. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossing the border in in Mexico. It's, yeah, yeah. Could yeah. be. You never know. If if only he'd watched Men in Black as his reference point, <laughs> yeah, he would just go why, you know, alien why smuggling the... in. Border Patrol have rocket powered cars. That's what I want to know. If you well, think exactly. they've got yeah. them, why not? Why not soup up their cars? Give them yeah, Lamborghinis like than, the police in Dubai. Yeah, rather than build a wall. Yeah, just give them faster cars. <laughs> yeah. Surely it's not hard, really. Mm. Get fast enough to overtake them and then throw the stinger in front of them. Yeah, blow the tires out. That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Every time. <laughs> So our second example comes uh, from a tweet that he sent on April 14th, 2020. And this was when he was claiming that he had total authority to uh, reopen the country again. Um, right. Obviously, quite early on in COVID, uh, in, in the lockdowns. Yeah, and he yeah. was saying, no, we're going to reopen. And obviously, people started pointing out states' rights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and the governors especially Democratic governors who were prepared to actually stand up to him rather than the Republican ones, were saying, yeah, we're, no, we're not going to open up our states. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. And so he tweeted, tell the Democrat governors that Mutiny on the Bounty was one of my all-time favourite movies. A good old-fashioned mutiny every now and then is an exciting and invigorating thing to watch, especially when the mutineers need so much from the captain. Too easy. So he is likening the democrat governors to the mutineers yep. in mutiny on the bounty and him yep. to captain bly yeah which kind of suggests either he hasn't seen mutiny on the bounty yes or yeah. or or identifies with captain bly which is another entirely possible possibility <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of weird it's, it's an invigorating thing to watch especially when the mutineers need so much for the captain but the mutiny on the bounty don't they succeed yeah and, and yeah, and he's he was he's, clearly the villain. He's like yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. lists of 
top villains in cinematic history. Bly he's ranks a, like there. in the top twenty. <laughs> it's a Godzilla. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Quite. So no, he hasn't. He's never watched it. Of course he hasn't. The point is, even if he'd got it right, yeah, and <laughs> and the mutiny had been something completely different, and Bly had been the hero. Yeah, it's still not a good a good way to back up your position to say, yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'm obviously doing the right thing, and the Democrats are are doing the wrong thing. Because in films, sometimes people mutiny yeah. against captains. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> in a book, right, that somebody wrote <laughs> in a story about a mutiny, there was a mutiny. Uh-huh. And you think, what? So yeah, okay. So we should go. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're right. That's because of your literary prowess and your references to other things that we've all seen. We just go, oh, right, yeah, we know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, And speaking of books and literary prowess, uh, our third example is from Donald Trump Jr., Uh, and it happened when... Who's got neither (laughs) of those? When when Trump got suspended from Twitter permanently, finally. And he said... We are living Orwell's 1984. Free speech no longer exists in America. It died with big tech and what's left is only there for a chosen few. This is absolute insanity. Um, and 1984 is, is constantly used by the right yeah. to claim that everything is, you know, it's all, free speech is, is ended because private companies are allowed to not amplify your opinions your particular opinions yeah yeah um which are hateful and insurrectional yeah. that's a word yeah 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 and even if that was what 1984 was about it was a bad argument yeah yeah but it's a yeah. particularly bad argument because it Cause really is not. isn't about that no no and it's what so we're living in 84 almost 1984 free speech no longer exists in america well it isn't about America. Well, it's not about America. It's not about free speech. It's not about no. it's not about free the suppression of free speech. It's about no. in part at least the part that's about speech is about using language in a way that doesn't mean what it's intended to mean mm-hmm. as propaganda. Yeah. Which is basically what Don Jr. What is doing do. with this yes. tweet yeah, yeah. itself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Wait, so yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's actually he is being Big Brother-ish. Yeah, we're living in, in Orwell's that, 1984 based on what yeah. I'm about to say in this tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. The fact that I'm using doublespeak and propaganda to yeah. try and sway people's opinions is, yeah, yeah and, is and 1984-ish. All his, and all to history, yeah, is 1984-ish. <laughs> if only, well, you know, which wouldn't be so bad if he actually meant to do that. Well, he would be because he's giving it away in the first sentence. <laughs> but... But yeah, but even yeah. so, it's still a work of fiction. It also brings to mind that brilliant um, Madison Cawthorn tweet where he said, uh, "1984 is a good fiction novel to read." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like three, three sort of tautological statements in one go. Yeah, fiction novel to read. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's useless. It's absolutely useless as a. As any kind of um, <laughs> fire retardant device, uh-huh. but to but to read is brilliant. To read, yes, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and now is the time I think for Marx British politics corner. 
Well, the whole kind of uh, literary prowess thing is sort of Boris Johnson's shtick. His entire rhetoric draws on the, the appeal to fiction, if ostensibly. And so there's two, three, four, even more probably from the speech he gave to the 76th session of the General Assembly of the UN uh, ahead of COP26, and which started today as we record. Um, so he gave this speech on September 23rd, 2021, and this was part of it. The way to fix the problem is through science and innovation, the breakthroughs and the investments that are made possible by capitalism and free markets. And it's through our Promethean faith in new green technology that we are cutting emissions in the, in the UK. Coal will be gone altogether from our energy production by 2024. We've put in great forests of beautiful wind turbines on the drowned prairies of Doggerland between uh, Britain and Holland uh, in the North Sea. In fact, we produce so much offshore wind that I'm thinking of changing my name in honour of the god of the North Wind to Boreas Johnson. There you go. There's a, a shove in that classical illusion this time of night to see if you're, 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 you're paying attention, folks. It's every time I listened to I've found the, the <laughs> contents of these, I just went... Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, it's just, and there's, there's this kind of, he's playing on his knowledge of, all the, of you know, the myth of Prometheus who defied the gods by stealing fire and gave it to humanity in the form of technology. And so that's why he's kind of alluding to Pr Prometheus about the technological or the use of technology and then shoves in the Boreas thing. You know, if anybody knows about generating a lot of wind, then it's Boris. So actually they're changing the entire field to name it after him. Hmm. But he's kind of, and he, you can tell that he's trying to play in the same way that he plays in the House of Commons from the Etonian oiks that normally laugh, you know, in a lackey, yes men kind of way. And they don't. They just, they don't, there are no spontaneous guffaws. So he jabs at the audience and tells them out loud that he's making a classical mythological <laughs> illusion in case they missed it. And you think, okay. And then he, and he also gets in the, his sort of strange, well, it's not fictional, it's true, but that, you know, there are the, the, the fields of Doggerland before the English Channel flooded. There were planes between us and the Netherlands, so that you know that's true. But it's but why do it, you fucker? <laughs> that's a, and, um, so. In reporting on this very speech, Bloomberg described Boris as a Latin scholar, but he isn't. And a Guardian journalist, Charlotte Higgins, points out she did the same classics course at Balliol College, Oxford, studying Greek and Roman literature and philosophy. And she reports in the article that one of the tutors, ancient historian Oswin Murray, called Boris probably the worst scholar Eaton ever sent us, a buffoon and an idler. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Kenny, who was the master of Balliol in Johnson's day, reflected in a 2018 memoir, what had we done for Boris? Had we taught him truthfulness? No. Had we taught him wisdom? No. What had we taught? Was it only how to make witty and brilliant speeches? <laughs> and there's a you know definite question mark there. Had he? Uh, does he do witty and brilliant speeches? I don't know. Mm, yeah. I, mean, I haven't yeah. heard one. If he does, no, maybe he I mean, does them quietly they, to himself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
but they're organized packed with all these these fictional illusions in order to show off his geeky greek greeky showoffery and um so let's have a listen to this clip the poet sophocles is often quoted or often quoted by me anyway as saying that there are many terrifying things in the world but none is more terrifying than mankind but if you look at look at the greek what sophocles actually said was uh, that man dena kuden anthropu deinotron pele is what he said which is deinos man is deinos and de- and terrifying isn't quite right as a translation for for deinos what 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 sophocles really means is that mankind is uh, humanity is awesome uh, we have an awesome power to change things and to change things for the better and an awesome power to save ourselves and in the next 40 days we have to choose the world has to choose what kind of awesome we're going to be so you think well what's the what was the <laughs> yeah, purpose what's the fuck of doing was the, that? The, the the illusion like, give him a giving them a it's kind of it's not even undergraduate level it's kind of high school level De- de- declining declension of Greek verbs or Greek nouns. You just think, oh, maybe the translation could be this because it could be awesome. And you think, well, what? 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 So he starts off by saying, to... I regularly misquote Sophocles. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, often people quote, well, I often do f- to my own ends. And you think, well, okay, so why are you making this fiction or this allusion to a, 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 a poem that was written by Sophocles about man's awesome power or, you know, frightening power. Why are you doing that? Is it to make the point? Couldn't you have just said we've got a chance to be awesome? You know, in the next 40 days, we're going to do the the the, um, the COP26. Now's our chance. Yeah. We have the power to bring things about for the good or for evil, we need to choose which one we're going to do and we should choose good. I would also... He doesn't actually put a cho- choice in there <laughs> no, no. and says we've got to choose which ones and we've got to be. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't make it clear that they're definitely choosing good. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I would also say that this is a, a, a point where there is a hazard in quoting um, fiction mm. in that um, people, all the characters that say stuff in fiction aren't necessarily admirable, good, or knowledgeable, or any of those kinds of qualities that you would hope. And so people will often quote stuff from books or from uh, plays, which they think makes a point that they're trying to make. But but it either wasn't said in that way in the original, or it was said by a villain in the original, or, you know, you've got to be really careful when you're doing that to make sure that that it's actually backed up in context. Because... Because yeah. people who don't know what you're talking about don't get anything new out of it, and people who do know what they're talking about realize you're a dick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and or you do what Boris just did, which is if the if the translation that you're using doesn't suit your purposes, you just change the translation. Yeah. So you you know you give them the Greek, which is you know said in the most un-Greek accent, <laughs> you know. Okay, we we probably know that maybe 
the ancient Greeks didn't speak quite like modern Greek, but it certainly doesn't sound I, like I want to hear Boris know, old Etonian England into a Greek oh, accent oh, without no, being horrendously know. offensive. That would be amazing. <laughs> he would, yeah, and he wouldn't be so bad. But he's he's descended from Turks, <laughs> so you know, yes, yeah, the irony is not lost here. And I, so the see the whole purpose of him doing these quotations or you know, these allusions to fiction isn't to for it to to enhance what he's trying to say it's actually just to convince you by distraction that he is smarter than he is and and along the way smarter than you are so you don't question his authority on the on that subject or indeed on any subject but the um uh, the guardian journalist just says his version of the classics, like so much in his repertoire, is lazy, tired, and utterly irrelevant. And and I looked into uh, Bailey Old College, where he went and studied classics. And Bailey Old College's unofficial motto is effortless superiority, which actually hilariously is, sums up Boris. Well, he doesn't put any effort in at all and holds himself <laughs> superior to everybody. And in 2019, students at Balliol College called on Oxford University to disavow Boris and remove all traces that he ever studied <laughs> there. I, mean, and I can understand wanting to distance yourself, but I disagree with rewriting history in that way. We should There should be statues to Boris so that we never forget. Yeah, and there should be a little con- you know, contextual notice. You don't know what's happened in history. You don't, yeah. you don't know what's yeah. happened. No, no. And it should be one that... <laughs> perpetually a bit like prometheus the fate that befell prometheus was that he ended up because of because of the theft of fire from the gods he ended up having to have his livers pecked out by various birds of prey every day and then overnight it healed up and he had to have it again so boris's statue in balliol <laughs> college should be uh, it should be toppled every day and then re-erected <laughs> yeah, overnight <laughs> and, yeah and then it's just pulled down by the tunes every single day yeah and streamed live to some platform or other and uh and also in 2020 the same um historian uh oswin murray sent johnson a formal renunciatio emicitiae of renunciation of friendship is what what Roman emperors sent to those that they wanted to get rid of. It was an invitation to exile or suicide. <laughs> and in a similarly classics-aware dig at Boris, uh, way back in the 9th of September 2019, Leo Varadka, who was the former Taoiseach of, the, of Ireland, the Prime Minister of Ireland, he made a classical jibe at Johnson referring to the Herculean task to negotiate free trade agreements with the member countries of the EU and the US now that we were, now that the UK was moving out of the EU and thereby trying to reconcile the Northern Ireland Peace Accord with the withdrawal agreement vis-à-vis the hard border with Europe. And this is what he said. It's going to be very tough. We'll have to deal with issues like tariffs, fishing rights, product standards, state aid, and it will then have to be ratified by 31 parliaments. Prime Minister, negotiating FTAs with the EU and the US and securing their ratification in less than three years, I think is going to be a Herculean task for you. But we do want to be your friend and your ally, your Athena, in doing so. And I think the manner in which you leave the European Union will determine whether that's possible. 
well, we know the manner in which they left and it hasn't been possible. And actually, and you can tell how much Boris is interested in what Leo is saying because only at the point where where he says, we'll be your Athena, who's Hercules' half-sister, does he kind of perk up and chuckle and kind of go, Ma-ha-ha! you know, that kind of eye. But yes, I understand that's a, that's a classical illusion. The only thing I can kind of tune into because i will steal that and uh so anyway athena's half uh, athena hercules's half sister actually helped him help hercules complete three of the 12 tasks yeah, she doesn't get any of the credit for that prevented him from dying no, no you barely hear about her the work she did yeah, flocks Typical. of birds stopping him H-E-R-P. killing other people all that yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> and thus prevented him dying in the process I would of say doing them which was the plan all along <laughs> that much as i'm yeah. enjoying all of the the mythology mythological illusions i would say that this yeah. one in particular is is more just of uh an uh, analogy rather than okay a than fallacy an in this i don't feel like he, the varadkar is using this um using anything fictional to back up an argument he's making or a claim he's right. making yeah he's yeah. just saying you know this is something we're going to do and it'll be like your hercules and we're athena um yeah whereas with the the prometheus thing he's he is claiming that if you pay if you read that and then look at us that yeah, that that shows that we can do this because yeah 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 so yeah i think yeah. i think that one possibly less of a Less of a fallacy, right? So, all right then. Well, so let's go back. To, let's go back to the speech by Boris. Um, so, not content with destroying any affection we may hold for Greek literature, he now taints popular culture for us as well. So, in the same speech, he shows just how up to the minute he is with climate thinking. Not by alluding to Greta Thunberg or the work of Insulation Britain or Extinction Rebellion, who bring the immediacy of the issue to the world's attention, but by saying this. And when Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog, sang, it's not easy being green. Do you remember that one? I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. It is easy it's not only easy it's lucrative and it's right to be green he, although he was also un- unnecessarily rude to miss piggy i thought uh, kermit the frog but it is easy uh, to be green we have the technology as we used to say when i was a when i was a kid there we go yes <laughs> so, so and those silences yeah, that's the frog. he keeps trying they? to like Hey, have you heard this? Have you heard about this? Kermit the Frog? Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, it's only a like 40-year-old yeah. reference. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And he also flings in a reference to the $6 million man. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, yeah, and actually it's quite handy because there's an English colloquialism, which is what a fucking muppet that he is. Because in a room full of adults, the room full of adults, that's the best he can come mm. up with. And and the fact that his obliviousness to the stone, the, the, he is completely oblivious to the the deafening silences with which it's received. There's more proof that he is not in any way advanced beyond how he was as a friendless, chubby, scruffy child who's likely to have a tantrum in the supermarket if you don't pay attention to his little dance performance in the sugar frosting aisle and is equally likely to dissolve in tears and hide in the fridge if you confront him directly about his utter lack of knowledge and complete inappropriateness for any role he thinks he's performing. 
to kind of alluding to Kermit of all things <laughs> when you're talking about the possible destruction of humanity by its own hands is not a good illusion, really, is it? Because it it does, well, certainly in English colloquial usage, bring forth the idea, well, you're just being a Muppet. Yeah. And then he, and then he kind of... Get, get away yeah. from Kermit. Kermit wasn't... You know, he's suggesting, in a way, that Kermit was... Was like anti, anti environment, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he was saying it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. It is easy. It's not easy I'm right about this. He's wrong about it. That's... No, <laughs> yeah, he's taking it completely out of context for a cheap laugh you didn't get <laughs> yes. in a room full of adults <laughs> and... that you have no right to be there. Be, be, yeah, <laughs> and he sneak he sneaks in. It was not only is it good, it's right, and it's lucrative. <laughs> you can make money at it, so he's completely right. So not only is is Kermit wrong for being an anti-environmentalist. He's also wrong for being an anti-capitalist. You know. There is fiction in the space between The lines on your pages of memories Write it down but it doesn't mean you're not just telling stories There is fiction in the space between You and everybody Give us all what we need Give us one more sad, solid story But in the fiction of the space between Sometimes there's a wild fantasy Sometimes a wild fallacy Sometimes a wild fallacy Tracy Chapman there with Telling Stories appeal to fiction so in the fallacy in the world we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective and our first example this week comes from clerks this is not the 1994 film but the yeah deservedly short-lived 2001 <laughs> animated series it was fucking wow awful. who greenlit <laughs> that uh, wow starring almost yeah. all of the original cast uh to be fair oh okay they just say ah, oh, yeah we'll want to do a sequel yeah no problem a sequel, great, because the first one, brilliant, box yeah. office, went down as like a cult comedy classic. Yeah, a sequel. Then they went, yeah, but we want to do it as an animated TV uh -huh. series. I, go, I mean, to be fair, they tried to revive it several times in various different formats. So, And, and Kevin yeah. Smith, even yeah. though this was an animated series, Kevin Smith still played Silent Bob. So <laughs> anyway, in this scene, Dante and Randall are talking about a local pet shop that's just opened. Wow, a new pet store. Want to go check out the monkey? I guess we should, if we're going to kill it. What? Kill a monkey? Are you mad? Man, didn't you see Outbreak? One monkey almost wiped out an entire town and Kevin Spacey with the deadly Motaba virus. Um, that was a movie. This is real life. You said the same thing about Jaws when we were kids. Because you refused to sit on the toilet. Sharks swim in water. There's water in the toilet. I rest my case. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, just because just you saw him... A film where a monkey had a virus doesn't mean you should yeah. kill monkeys. I mean, I feel well, like that I... should go without saying. And Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> don't need to explain it. I love it. Goes, yeah, you were the same about Jaws. That's because like, there was water in the toilet. Sharp swimming water. Ergo, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, this thing uh, is a, a common trope in films where someone says, "Ah, oh, yeah, this is this is real life. This isn't a movie." In a movie. Mm. In fact, mm. we're recording this on Halloween, and yep. I have a tradition. Ever since university, every Halloween I watch a horror movie. Yeah. And today I went out to the cinema and watched Scream because it's the 25th anniversary yeah. of Scream this year. Wow. So they, they yeah. put it back in the cinemas. And Scream is packed with this kind of thing where where, <laughs> yeah, where yeah, usually yeah. Jamie Kennedy is talking about the, you know what happens in horror films and then someone will say, oh, yeah, yeah. but this is real life. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. full of this kind of stuff. Uh, So our second example is from an episode of Be Reasonable, Uh, Michael Marshall's fantastic podcast, which if you haven't listened to all of, you should immediately go and do that after listening to this. But this is from episode 74, in which Marsh talked to a guy called Christopher Anatra, who is a believer in the Mandela effect being a proof of people injecting negative situations into our timeline in ways that some people can notice as things that are different from what they remember and some people can't uh, and that's his one of his explanations for for the mandela effect which is where people notice things that they just remembered wrong basically and they think oh yeah that's proof of of alternate timelines but he backs up his argument by saying this and if you ever watch the show the man in the high castle you begin to see some of those concepts as well about what the Nazis are trying to, to do with, with conquering things. And there's, I think there's some soft disclosure in there. I see. And, and by soft disclosure, could you just explain what you mean by soft disclosure, actually? Yeah, so with soft disclosure, you'll see concepts um, in movies, for example, in books and so forth that explain the way the world works, but kind of like they make it like sci-fi fantasy, like this can't actually be true. Or if you watch any of the... the uh, Marvel movies, you know, a lot of them are talking about timelines and picking the right timelines. So his argument is that whoever is doing this, yeah, they, they um, are also showing us that they're doing it by by yeah. making films and TV shows about alternative timelines. Yeah, and he goes on to talk about Loki. And the, and the time variance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And this is a weirdly common thing that comes up yeah. in conspiracy theories. Um, and, and one of the things that in the last episode that we did of our Patreon-only kind of sister podcast, the QAnon Book Club from QAnon The yeah. Great Awakening, this came up with um, our most recent chapter that we did where the writer was talking about the proof that you see in films of what is going on with people sacrificing children. It said that then they have the nerve to blast it in your face as they do in movies like The Dark Crystal, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Monsters, Inc., brackets, The Fear Meter, etc., showing how to gather adrenochrome that gives them some form of high and youthful looks. Now, I've seen Monsters, Inc. a few times. I don't remember them talking about adrenochrome. (laughs) No. I don't think that came up. No. And Dark Crystal? Dark Crystal. I mean, there is a kind of kidnap plot in that of abducting children. And, yeah. yeah. So, and, but then why isn't Chitty Chitty Bang well, Bang Well, exactly. I there? mean, what I would say is 
is why isn't like Sleepless in Seattle in there? And what what yeah. the the point is, <laughs> yeah. if films are telling you what's really going on in the world, if you yeah. if you assume that the fiction is true, what about yeah. all the other films? Yeah, yeah, like Shrek. Yeah. What's so is your argument that that only the films that conform to what you think is secretly going on behind the scenes, if you really twist the yeah. nature <laughs> yeah. of the film, yeah, those ones are real. And secret messages from the Illuminati who just can't help telling everyone yeah. their secret plans by making multi-million dollar movies about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, and what are the other films for? Are they just to give yeah. cover for the fact that, that those yes. films exist? That's, that's all it what? is. It's the whole thing. The whole edifice of Hollywood is to make that going, right, OK, we've got to tell these people about what we're actually doing but in a kind of undercover kind of way. And then, yeah. well, yeah, but won't they notice that? Yeah, no, no, what we'll do, we'll make... <laughs> we'll make we'll lots one, of films. But the one... We'll make, like, we'll make 800 films a year. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and two or three of them, we'll put some kind of child abduction plot in there yeah. so that the really, you know, awake people will know what's going on yeah. for some reason. the rest reason. of them will just, you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's like the Matrix. Yeah, but and then some Illuminati a... person pipes up <laughs> yeah. and says, hey, how about if we just didn't tell people what we're doing? And the others are like, no, fuck off, Steve. Yeah, the whole of the movie industry <laughs> would collapse. Don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah. Got vested interest now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And who are we telling these people when 98% of them will just think your is a story featuring Indiana Jones? Yeah. Who, well, well, you see, it's the 2%. Those are the people that we really need to tell. He said, yeah, but they're against us. <laughs> they want to kill us. They want to do away with us. So why are we bothering to tell them? Uh, yeah, well, that was where my plan falls to the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's bizarre. And so our final example in this section comes from a story that we again touched on briefly mm. when it originally came out, which was that anti-vaxxers, certain anti-vaxxers, Oh, making the argument on social media that um, I Am Legend, the Will Smith film, they say that the thing that turned people into zombies wasn't a virus, it was a vaccine. And therefore, you shouldn't get vaccinated. Because <laughs> yeah. a film... Because sh sharks swim in water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> water in my toilet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that was the thing. They were actively using this fictional film as a, a as backup Proof. to their yeah. argument yeah. that yeah. vaccines are dangerous because in a yeah. film it turned people into zombies it yeah. didn't even in the film that's not the point <laughs> it wasn't a vaccination it was a it was a modified measles virus that was a cure for cancer so yeah. it wasn't a vaccination and and the um the writer of the film uh, Akiva Goldsman uh, ended up tweeting for, for God's sake, I made this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not, not a good way to make an argument. No. <laughs> right, before we move on to fake news this week, uh, just time to talk about our Patreon. Not just to convince you to become patrons, which, of course, you should. I mean, that goes without saying. Well, yeah, it goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But because we are getting to the end of our QAnon book club. We are almost at the very end of the book and we yeah. need something else to do after we finished it, really. 
So we like yeah. some ideas. Well, we, well, yeah, I think we need you. a good rest after <laughs> well, reading that yeah, book. Yeah, I don't know. Up, yeah, so maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll need either another book or yeah. maybe you'd like to hear us talk about films or like Mike Lindell's documentaries about how he can definitely prove that the election was rigged. Or I don't know. I'm. Uh, you give us ex- ideas yeah. of yeah. things you would like to hear in that patron uh, no, no, no. extra episodes and uh, and we'll probably do one of them if you are a patron you can do that in our patron feed or on facebook if you aren't a patron you can do it on facebook or you can become a patron and now would be a great time to do that because not only would you get the entire mm. run through of the fear trump in the white house bob woodward yep. book and within weeks the the entire QAnon book club yeah also breakdowns of various films like wonder woman 84 and yeah. ghosts can't do it and things like that but also we are just dollars away from hitting our next patron goal which hey. is basically where the patrons pick a topic be it flat earth anti-vaccination uh gun control whatever and we yep. will look at the all of the logical fallacies on both sides yeah. of that issue yeah all of them. All of, yeah. yeah, we will we will do some proper research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking to forward to that in the slightest. It's <laughs> just going to be mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. If that's something you'd like to hear, uh, then then push us over the edge into the next patron goal by yeah. becoming a patron for just even a couple of dollars a month is enough to get you all of that good stuff. Yeah, do that. And as a, as a sidebar, uh, I was scrolling through Netflix trying to find a film to watch with the anti-vaxxer in my life. And uh, and they said, oh, Wonder Woman 84. And I went, no, <laughs> we are not. Have, <laughs> have you tried I Am Legend? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so, uh, I'm going near that because, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Patreon.com/slash/ftrump. So we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news. The game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. See, so, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of buoyed up by my recent run of successes, and as Rocky Balboa once said, <laughs> it ain't about how hard you hit; it's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yeah. So I'm quite prepared to be punched in the face this week. <laughs> you are having uh, a, an immense run of yeah of success. Um, yeah. And and I yeah I have I need to fight back. So um, sticking with the movie theme, uh-huh. the yeah. the theme this week is um, times when Trump has talked about films, and you'll be shocked to learn he isn't always great at quoting them. Right. No, really? <laughs> right. Nor working out the context within which yeah, you should be yeah. referring to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yep. statement number one. Yep. This is when he was talking about Obama basically kind of telling people what he was going to do in Iraq militarily. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, why does he have to talk about it? You know the movies, shoot first, talk later, right? Right. Shoot first, you talk about it later. But why does he have to do it? The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, I like that movie, right? Don't we like it? Remember the bad, boom, from the bathtub, shoot first. That guy was doing too much talking up there, right? Shoot first, talk later. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Statement number two, this is in response to Parasite winning the best film Oscar. 
He said, what the hell were they thinking? Giving them best movie of the year. Best movie? Bring back some of the great old movies like Citizen Kane. That's a great movie. Or Gone with the Wind. Can't we get Gone with the Wind back? Remember that? With the Rebels? Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. Whatever happened to movies like that? They can't make them today. Okay, that's because of... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So statement number three, this is about Adam Schiff's characterisation of Trump's phone call with the president of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. He said, he made up a story. It was total fiction. And then at the end, he said, don't call me, I'll call you. That's a mob statement. Very famous statement in numerous movies, one in particular. That's a mob statement. Don't call me, I'll call you. He said that I said that. He said that I said eight times quid pro quo. Well, there were no times quid pro quo, nothing. Okay. Uh, right. Well, um, see the, the yeah the, that caveat about him misquoting it because the bam boom from the bathtub that was the ugly, that was Eli Wallach. Um, because he goes into the um the disused town to take a bath, and he and then somebody comes in after him, not Lee Van Cleef, and it's the ugly that shoots him. Okay, uh, what the hell thing are you? Citizen Kane, how does he know Citizen Kane is a great movie? He just knows it's a great movie, he's never seen it. That's a great movie. Gone with the Wind, so that was about slavery. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, quite, yeah, Frank. okay. Uh, the mob statement, don't call me, I'll call you. Um, okay, so... Um, Okay, I think then that I might see now I've changed my gut feel because <laughs> I know you just laid a trap. I think that the one you made up is number one. Okay, so of the other two, which are you more convinced yep. by? I think more convinced by number two, the one about Citizen Kane. Okay. Yeah. And number two yeah. is yeah. fake news. Oh, man, I knew that. <laughs> I knew that as soon as you said that. Oh, no, that's really very good then. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. See, yeah, the Citizen yeah. Kane, I should have gone with that. that See, yeah, deal. it's the Frankly Scarlet, I don't give a damn. I found on a list of popularly misquoted movies yeah. and thought, who the yeah. fuck thinks it's that? Who yeah, says, yeah. like, yes, people say, Luke, I'm your father, or yeah. we're going to need a bigger boat instead of the actual line. But everyone yeah. knows it's frankly, my dear. No one yeah, says yeah. frankly, yeah. Scarlet. That's yeah. not a popularly misquoted film. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. Citizen Kane that kind of threw Yeah, he does apparently really like Citizen Kane, wow. but completely misreads it. Because obviously yeah. he thinks Charles Foster Kane is the hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and identifies it with him. This this yeah, politician exactly. yeah. who claims yeah. that if he loses, it's all rigged against him. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, Errol Morris, the documentarian, had a, did an interview with him where he talked about Citizen Kane. And, and they talked about yeah. the scene where Kane is kind of his business is growing and he's losing contact with his wife. He's, like, dismissing his relationship for success. Yeah. And they're... Yeah their breakfast table gets kind of longer and oh, yeah, they get one. further and further yeah, apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Errol Morris asks Trump, like, what advice he had, he would have for Charles Foster Kane. Right. And Trump said, get yourself a different woman. 
like a better wife. Like that's the problem. Is the yeah, wife yeah. wasn't doing her job yeah, properly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say send out for breakfast. No, he's completely like, yeah. missed the point of sending yeah, game. Absolutely. But, oh yeah. my god. Nor does he get the the fact that it's a digger, William Randolph Hearst. Oh, no, 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 like he thinks he's a, a real person. He thinks Kane is great. <laughs> Should have been elected. Yeah, it was stolen. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, right. So I'm going to have to go back and watch it again <laughs> from the viewpoint that, that it's Trump now. Yeah. Wow. It, in fact, there's, there's a lot of parallels. It's quite weird. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I wonder if he's used that as his playbook. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which means that right. number one uh, is real. Oh, uh, no. Where he claimed that the, the bad shot from yeah. the bathtub. Why does he have to talk about it? You know the movies, shoot first, talk later, right? 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 Shoot first, you talk about it later. But why does he have to do it? The good, the bad, and the ugly. I like that movie, right? Do we like it? Remember? The bad. Boom. From the bathtub. Shoot first. The guy was doing too much talking up there, right? Shoot first, talk later. So first of all, the you're right that it's it's the ugly. Um yeah. Eli Wallach. And the the phrase is shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. that's the phrase. Yeah. But that's Why not even the quote from the film. No. The the <laughs> no. film, Eli Wallach after he shoots the guy, says, If you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Yeah. Which is yeah. not the same thing at all. No. <laughs> and actually, shoot first, talk about it later. Well, well you, how, why would you? Because you, you, the guy's dead. You're not going to talk yeah, yeah. to him, are you? Yeah. But it's that, yes, quite. And yeah, shoot, shoot first, ask questions later isn't generally held up as good advice. That's no. The, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> no. And he's, he's kind of rallying the crowd and, there's, and they're all going, yeah, we love that movie, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, remember the bad boom for yeah. the bathtub. And you can hear people going... Was it, was it him? Was it, it Lee Van Cleef? It was Elon Wallet. It wasn't Lee Van Cleef, was it? Lee Van Cleef, he's got the hat. Elon Wallet was in the bath with the thing around his neck. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then they go, oh, yeah, shoot first. And you can just think, oh, yeah, well, there you go. That's good advice, isn't it? Just shoot first. Don't ask questions. Shoot first. Yeah. That's why a lot of people died under his watch because he was going, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, Don't talk. these people are Don't peacefully think. protesting on my way to the church. Let's just shoot them first and then ask questions afterwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no, and it also means, it also means Number the three. other one is real as well. Real. Oh, no, no. He made up a story. It was total fiction. And then at the end, he said, don't call me, I'll call you. That's a mob statement. Very famous statement in numerous movies, one in particular. That's a mob statement. Don't call me, I'll call you. He said that I said that. He said that I said eight times quid pro quo. Well, there were no times quid pro quo, nothing. Is it a mob statement? Or is it something that casting directors say? Exactly, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't call me, we'll call you. (laughs) Don't call us. Why is it a mob statement? I mean, I haven't seen all mob films. And please, audience, if you know what film he's talking about. He's talking about. If that is from a film. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, because I it's not it's not the Godfather, it's not Goodfellas, it's not you know it's not like the famous he, ones. No, <laughs> no, not one in particular. No, yeah, anyone, anyone in particular. Numerous movies though, apparently. It's a yeah, 
It's a mob well, statement a, that is in, very famous in numerous movies. Numerous <laughs> movies, none of which we've seen. Well, if if his go-to ones are, you know, earlier earlier films that he misquotes, he's going to go, yeah, I'm sure I've seen a mob story. They've said that it's a mob statement, like you bloody know. <laughs> you know, no, you don't. You, you don't. And then he just he does that usual thing of generalizing, and <laughs> then and then people kind of think you're just making it up. And then, so then he'll pretend to have a specific example. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But he'll just say, no, he'll just say one in particular. Yeah. Oh, surprised. you are, you do know. You're not just making up the yeah. general stuff. Yeah. I'm no, surprised he didn't add, you know the one I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know the one. Yeah. I don't I'm not, I don't even you. need to say it. It's so famous. Yeah. It's <laughs> so famous. Staring you in the face. <laughs> don't call me, I'll call you. No, it's not. It's like it will make you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. a mob that's statement, the, yeah. isn't it? Or yeah. be a nice house you got here. Be a shame if something happened to it. That kind of <laughs> thing. Me, yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> nice police station you've got here, Inspector. Yeah, shame if something nasty happened to it. So, unfortunately, uh, your epic run has come to an end. Oh wow! There you go. Yeah, and that means that you are now back to fifty percent. There you go. See Rocky Balboa. <laughs> He was right. <laughs> it's about getting hit yeah. in the face. Got to get back up again. Yeah. And it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Helena Hutchins is not a logical fallacy. Because, unfortunately, on October 21st, there was a tragic shooting on a film set in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, in which a cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, uh, was shot and killed uh, Joel Souza, the director, was injured in the same incident and it was Alec Baldwin who was holding the gun that discharged at the time and because it was Alec Baldwin and Alec Baldwin um, did mean impressions of Trump for yeah. four years, the yeah. right wing has decided that he's a murderer, basically, um, right. because this happened. And uh, so we thought we would talk about this because although there is a lot of speculation at the moment and the investigation is ongoing, there's a lot we don't know. There is some stuff that has come out kind of publicly. There's affidavits that have been released and there's some information that has been uh, released. And a lot of people yeah. on the right are uh, using this as a point against gun activist and liberal actor Alec Baldwin. Um, I have worked on film sets where we've used um, prop and blank firing guns. Right. Uh, I've, I've used guns before. I've, I've, done, I've got some firearms experience and I've, I've had firearm safety training. I don't know what your experience is in that kind of area. Ever been on a set with guns? Yeah, but not on films, on, on uh, stage. Right. But the... Um, and you just use completely... Yeah, stage blanks are quite gun. different. Yeah. Yeah. Where there is where there does it's normally just a noise really with yeah, a stage blank. Exactly. With, yeah. with film prop guns which need to fire. There's various different types of um guns on film that need to fire. They're the the ones that are most commonly used are um either completely rubber guns that don't have any ability to fire or do anything or cycle or anything, but they look very realistic. There are yeah. kind of airsoft guns. Uh, which fire little kind of BBs that, um, you know, obviously don't make a noise or a muzzle flash or anything like that. Yeah. Um, there are guns with dummy rounds, which look like real bullets, but don't have the ability to fire. 
they are completely empty. Right. They just they they look realistic for loading into a gun. Right. Um, yep. And then yep. there are blanks, which are um, cartridges which are loaded with um, usually actually more gunpowder than a regular bullet would contain, mm. because that's yep. what makes the muzzle flash that you kind of see on camera, um, yep. and it makes a loud noise. But they they don't have a round in. They don't have. Uh, right. any, any lead in the cylinder yeah, they yeah. they are crimped they often have wadding which can be mm -hmm. um cardboard or or some other material and they are dangerous to fire at close range right yeah because you're still going to come out at yeah. great speed yeah. yes and if it's a, a balled up piece of cardboard that's going to yeah. hurt and yeah. because sometimes these Weapons can still be dangerous even if they are loaded with blanks mm -hmm. there are protocols that are Take, uh, that are used on film sets to make sure that they are used safely. Yeah. Um, so basically, we're going to talk about some of the things that people have been saying about this situation and questions that people have been asking about the situation, uh, and we can kind of answer some of the questions and explain what should be the case usually. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, in fact, in in my experience in all cases, and, and if if it's in any kind of... If it's a film with any kind of budget whatsoever, and mm. usually on low to no budget films as well, if there's any kind of firearm to be used at all, there will be a, a firearms expert, an armorer on set right. who has complete yep. control over those firearms. It is yep. their job yep. um, to to look after them, to make sure they don't kind of get handed around and stuff, and and they mm -hmm. uh, usually have them in a locked box all the way up to the point where they're going to be used for filming or rehearsal, and then they will g gather them from the actors at the end of the scene and yeah. lock them up again, and they take f responsibility for that. Right, yeah. However, there's another line of defence on film sets, which is the first AD, the first assistant director. They are the producer's eyes on set, and they have responsibility for safety as a whole on film sets. Right. So whether it's, you know a zip wire that needs to be rigged or uh, electrical cables that need to be kind of taped down to the floor so people don't trip over them, safety briefings that need to be held or um, health and safety kind of uh, forms that need to be filmed in. That's the first AD's job. Right, yeah. So they're the person that's ultimately, in this case, they would be in charge of the armourer's activities or responsible for. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So the 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 armorer will work with the first AD. They will often also work with the props master if the props master has any mm -hmm. kind of um, influence on that area. Sometimes the props master will just do non-firearm related props, and then the armorer will do anything that that involves firearms. Um, yep. However, one thing that that isn't part of that safety protocol is the actor. Right. Because they don't usually have any expertise. Um, and more importantly, they have lots of other things to think about. Yeah. When yeah. when an actor is preparing for a scene or getting ready to rehearse or getting ready to shoot, or, or they, they are thinking about their costume and their lines and the camera angles and all kinds of different things. And so it is not left to the actor in any way. It is not a part of the process for the actor yeah. to take any responsibility for making sure that a gun is not loaded. Yeah. The armourer yeah. is completely responsible for that, and the first AD is responsible for making sure it happens. 
making sure the armorer does their job essentially before yep. the gun yep. gets to the actor. So all, all the actors, the actors expecting just to be handed something yeah. that's perfectly safe. They'll be handed a gun. They'll often be shown. The scene. They they would yeah. often, in fact, usually probably be shown that the gun is unloaded, if yeah. it is supposed to be an unloaded gun. It isn't always right. the case that the gun they're handed is unloaded. It isn't loaded with live rounds, yeah. but it may have blanks or it may have dummy rounds. Um, and and that isn't quite as simple as looking at it and showing that there's nothing in the magazine, in the chambers, if it's a revolver, um, you know, and, and nothing down the barrel. So it's not yeah. quite as straightforward as just showing the actor that it's not loaded and the actor saying, yeah, that's not loaded. Um, yeah. Things happened on this set which shouldn't have happened, it seems. I mean, obviously, mm. because there was an accident. Yeah. There are things we still don't know, um, and there are rumours that have been put about, and there are um, things that have been kind of, you know, witnesses have have made statements on the record. Other people who were in the room have made statements on their own. Uh, like, for example, Serge Svetnoy, the um, gaffer, the, the, the head electrician on set, mm-hmm. um, has put out a Facebook post on his own Facebook saying his opinion of what happened. Um, right. So this isn't something that's being filtered through the media, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily completely unbiased. He was a friend of Helena Hutchins. Um, yeah, yeah. But but his opinion is that it's the responsibility of the armourer um, and that there were kind of perhaps corners cut in hiring a relatively young and inexperienced armourer mm. for this film. Because I think it was only her second film. Yeah, that's right. It? Yeah, the armourer, yeah. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, uh, is 24, and she had previously worked on one uh, Nicolas Cage film. Um, she is quoted in interviews around the time of her first film as saying, or, or after the first film, as saying she wasn't really sure she was kind of up to the job, but right. but it all seemed to go okay, basically. Yeah. She's the daughter, incidentally, of, of Thel Reed, who was a um, kind of a legendary gunsmith. And, and uh, I mean, he holds various records for, for shooting and like quick draw competitions and things like that. So he has been right, in the business well, for yeah, yeah. for years and has trained most of the actors you see with guns on screen to use guns. Wow. Um, so I'm kind of surprised that she doesn't have more experience. Or isn't more confident yeah. about it or, or knowledgeable about what to do yeah was there not reports from the previous film that things weren't the people didn't feel comfortable at all nicholas cage was in the previous film she worked yeah. on and he didn't like the way that she well this is uh, where it becomes a bit worked. difficult mm. um as i mentioned there's uh serge svetnoy has has put out a statement himself uh he's yeah. he's head electrician uh reed russell the cameraman um Dave Halls, uh, the first AD, has been quoted in uh, like legal affidavits and search warrants and things like that. Um, mm. Information from Alec Baldwin and um, from uh, Joel Souza, the director, have also been put on kind of the official record. A lot of the other stuff that has been talked about has been from unnamed sources, right? Um, which makes it difficult to know how reliable that is because we don't know where they're coming from yeah. uh, or what, what their, that information what their beef is. really is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it leads to things like a story that went out 
um, where someone re uh, tweeted a deadline article where they'd inserted a paragraph which claimed that um, Alec Baldwin was was playing around with the gun. He was uh, like asked for another take by the director and said, "How you know another take? How about I just fucking shoot the both of you and then shot them?" Whoa! That did not actually um, happen. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. in the deadline article. The de- you know deadline said no that we didn't write that that it bears yeah. no, no relation to what we've learned. And the original nine one one call, which is on the record and you can listen to it, um, says that they were rehearsing when this happened. So that definitely right. didn't happen. It wasn't that yep. he was yep. like frustrated at more having more takes or whatever. What yep. what seems to have happened from from the nine one one call, from the affidavits and the information we know from people who are named and on set, is that the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, uh, had three guns that were to be used that day uh, in a locked container. Um, Mm -hmm. after lunch she took them out of the container and put them on a um, a kind of tray, a cart that was outside and the first AD Dave Halls took one of the guns and handed it to Alec Baldwin he has said he didn't check uh, Dave Halls has said he didn't check the gun Right. Um, he believed it to be what's called a cold gun no ability Mm -hmm. to shoot essentially right yeah um and he said as much to Alec Baldwin. He said, cold gun. In fact, it's claimed by multiple people that he yelled cold gun. As right. Some sets, people set do that. Of, other yeah. sets, people yeah. don't. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a, a scene where they were going to be shooting blanks. It was, it was a scene where there was going to be a close-up of the gun pointed at the camera or near right. the camera. So yeah. you would see... In the chambers, because it's a we- it's an old western, so you so it's a revolver. You would see in the yep. chambers that there were bullets in the chambers. Yeah. So it had it was filled with dummy rounds, which are just a casing with a, a kind of rubber tip, and is often filled with a BB, uh, so that you can kind of shake it and you can hear the rattle, so you know it's not a real bullet. Right. It also yep. doesn't have a, a primer. Right. So it's different from a live round but not to the extent that an actor would be expected to open up the gun look at it and know the difference necessarily yeah yeah um also again not the actor's job at all to do that yeah <laughs> yeah and on and on many sets um if the actor started messing with the gun hmm. that would be cause for the armorer to take the gun back off take them, it off them. recertify yeah. it as safe and you know, it's basically yeah. it's not only not the actor's job to to look at it; it's it's like against the rules for them to do it. Yeah, all they're allowed to do is what they're directed to do by the by the firearm. Yeah, because it's just as much a, a prop as a glass of whiskey yeah. that isn't whiskey. Yeah, you know, you just got to drink it, and you drink it, whether it's cold tea or whiskey. Yeah. You have to, you know, you're expecting that it isn't going to be whiskey. You're going to drink cold tea and pretend it's whiskey. Yeah, yeah. People have asked questions of you know and and these are people who who fair enough are coming from a perspective of you never point a gun at anyone mm. and you always check you always assume a gun is loaded and you always check whether it's loaded those are firearm safety rules that everyone yeah. learns the minute they are first given a firearm yeah um but they are not necessarily people who have even thought about the concept of using firearms on a film yeah um the the idea of not pointing at anyone is is a luxury <laughs> um yeah. often yeah. in films it's wherever yeah. it's possible just like fight scenes you don't actually punch someone 
Mm. Um, if possible, with angles, you can aim a gun away from a person and kind of make it look like it's aimed at them. Yeah. But when, as in many films, the the gun is aimed at the camera or just off camera, yeah, um, yeah. there is inevitably going to be a cameraman slash cinematographer slash director there. Yeah. If there are going to be blanks, that's often done with a long lens. So yeah. the uh, that means like a telephoto lens. So the um, camera is Camera's is a long a, way yeah away. a long way away. Yeah, because because blanks yeah. for the most part cinematic blanks beyond about twenty feet it's completely safe. There's no way right. anything bad can happen to you if you're that far away. So sometimes it'll just be filmed from further away, and that's how they keep it safe. Sometimes if they need to be closer to the camera, there'll be a bulletproof perspex screen or something like that um, to keep people behind the camera from being in the line of fire right but it's it's not fair to say you can do you can make all films and get all the shots that people want to get without anyone ever pointing a gun at another person on cinema yeah it's just not practical yeah um it's also not reasonable to say he should have checked it wasn't loaded because again it's first of all not his job secondly um it was supposed to appear loaded yeah (laughs) for the shot and the fact that the the AD gave it to him yeah, absolutely. and yeah, said yeah. it's a cold gun. Yes. Yeah. So the argument he should have checked it wasn't loaded and shouldn't have pointed at anyone. In an ideal world, that's true, but but making films is slightly different. And it's the same. Yeah. I've seen it said that if there was a scene where Alec Baldwin was on a zip line and, he, and the zip line broke and he fell off and landed on someone and killed them, yeah, it's the guy who rigged the zip line, <laughs> yeah. who is the yeah, person yeah. who did something wrong there. You wouldn't expect the actor to make sure that he could check the zip line was safe, because yeah. it should be safe. He should be able to trust people to do that. Any time yeah. an actor has ever parachuted for a film, that actor did not load their parachute. Yes, exactly. An expert yeah. in parachute they packing it. did it. Yeah, yes, exactly. Because um, they're actors. They're not yeah. experts in zipline yeah. technology or parachute packing. Yeah. Anyway, in this case, somehow a live round, an actual bullet, was in the gun. Yeah. And during rehearsal, when Alec Baldwin was practising drawing the gun from his holster and aiming it at the camera, uh, we don't actually even know if he pulled the trigger yet. Mm-hmm. It's possible it discharged somehow in some other way, but it's it's also possible he pulled the trigger. But again, not expecting anything to happen. Um, he pulled the trigger and the shot uh, went into Helena Hutchins' uh, stomach slash chest area. Again, not entirely sure where. And threw into Joel uh, Sousa's shoulder, who was standing behind her. Yeah. Wow. I've, I mean, I've laid out why I don't think Baldwin is responsible as an actor, yeah. yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have any responsibility because he's also a producer on this film. Right. But then we get into very difficult situations because producer means very different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. You yep. can be a producer who literally is just getting a credit and some back-end money on a film. Right. And that's all you are as a producer. You know, you're, you're, They sometimes give producer credits to actors so that they don't have to pay them as much up front and it's a bit of a vanity thing. Yeah. You can be a producer who is completely in charge of hiring everyone on set and and like and raises the money for the film and yeah. and you know runs the production um kind of alongside the director. 
uh, I think that the Cone brothers kind of act as director producer both on on their films typically and they kind of do, do both roles so so if that was his role then he'd be responsible for yeah. hiring the first ad and the armorer yeah and so there would be it's, some latent responsibility for the been, people that yeah, are working it's been reported by deadline that the the producer the on-set producer with kind of day-to-day responsibility and who and responsibility for hiring ultimately the armorer and the mm. uh, first ad as well was a guy yep. called ryan donald smith who's and just one of the other producers he hired an atlanta-based production services company called third shift media they then hired the armorer and the ad right. yeah so it doesn't look like alec baldwin was in that line of decision making mm. um yeah but that doesn't mean he doesn't have any responsibility in that aspect of it there were there have been reports again these are less well sourced more speculative mm-hmm. that um some union crew members a union crew camera crew walked off the set because of safety concerns earlier that day and they continued filming with a non-union camera crew right that doesn't necessarily make it less safe um and we don't know what that union crew's concern safety concerns were they may not have been related to firearms at all yeah yeah. um and some have suggested that as not only a producer but obviously the biggest star on the film if he kind of had sympathy for their concerns he should have essentially shut down production until they could address those concerns even if he wasn't kind of the one ultimately in charge he still has the kind of star has that power in right. a way which yeah. is arguably true but certainly doesn't rise to the level of legal responsibility to do that no in the early 80s um there were a couple of deaths on a uh john landis film twilight zone the movie uh vic morrow was was killed when a helicopter crashed in a scene and a couple of child actors also were killed john landis was was prosecuted for i think involuntary manslaughter as as director and producer and the production right. team, the, the other producers on that film were, were prosecuted. Ultimately, they were acquitted. Um, mm-hmm. But there is absolutely scope for there to be a prosecution brought on the basis of the, that Alec Baldwin was one of the producers if there is any evidence that that, in part, led to this happening. Mm. But in my opinion, there is a great deal more likelihood that there will be prosecutions brought against the armorer and the first AD who were the mm. ones who actually were being paid specifically to make sure something like this didn't happen. Yeah. There is... And were the ones that gave them the gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is absolutely yeah. no explanation yet as to how there were any live rounds at all on, on set. Yeah. There shouldn't have been at any point. Yeah. There was no and reason I'm, for so, that to happen. And I'm kind of surprised that, you know, um, Donald Trump Jr. is... is uh, the, uh, you know, heading the the zeroing in of the fact that you know guns don't kill people. A Baldwin kills people, um, which is a T-shirt that you can get via on Don Junior's website. Yeah, yeah, and you kind of think, well, actually, they're they're kind of missing a trick that there's all of these uh, this other scope for conspiracy theories that you know normally conspiracy theorists would be filling in the space. Yeah, of, because he's you know, the bad where, guy. As far uh, as that right. that's the thing, because he's a yeah. he's a an anti gun liberal who yeah. who attacked Donald Trump. Yeah. Therefore so that's, he's that's it's open season. And these are the same people 
who are going after him. Don Jr., Charlie Kirk, Dana Loesch, Dinesh D'Souza. These are the same people who have repeatedly and vociferously defended Kyle Rittenhouse, the guy who actually yep. crossed state lines with a gun that he was too young to own and shot people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they are like, he's a hero. Ashley yeah. Babbitt, the woman who yeah. was trying to enter the um, the the Capitol and was yeah. shot, is a I martyr. Alec yeah. Baldwin is a murderer. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. Um, but there is this, you know, that this sense from people who know about guns that mm. these rules that you have to follow, not on a movie set, are are you know absolutely black and white. And and yeah. if they if he knew anything about guns, if he wasn't a you know commie pinko yeah. um, liberal actor. And and had ever done a gun safety course, which undoubtedly yeah. he has, given that he's used guns in multiple movies, um, that yeah. this wouldn't have happened. There's there's very little evidence for that. And there is there yeah. was a study in the, the um, New England Journal of Medicine in 2018 where um, the uh, researchers looked at, they, they hypothesized that during the annual three-day National Rifle Association um, meeting that that is mm -hmm. had yeah um that if firearms accidents weren't necessarily primarily caused by inexperienced firearms users but were just generally caused by more firearms use right um then then firearms injuries accidental injuries would go down over that period during those right. three days and they they looked at um an extended period multiple years um and they found that indeed they did go down and they went down statistically significantly uh, nationwide in their eye. It's, it's a correlation, but it's a correlation that is statistically significant, repeatable and and uh, bore out the hypothesis they had before they started looking at the data. Yeah. Um, and it happens every year. And uh, in the state where the, the um, conference is taking place each year, it goes down. Um, by about half it goes down from about 1.9 to about 0.8 injuries right. per 100,000 wow. gun owners which is it is a small absolute figure but yeah a significant total figure if you factor in all the gun owners yeah and they hypothesize that this is because lots of people who would be shooting generally instead yeah. go to this conference for that weekend and in yeah. fact people who run you know gun clubs or gun ranges or you know hunting uh places where you can go hunting and stuff like that they're they're yep. they are shutting down for that weekend so they can go to the conference so there isn't this wow um, so there are fewer thing. guns being used yeah but specifically by places. nra yeah. members yeah during yeah. that period and there and there is this consequent drop of accidental discharges that cause injuries so based on that which seems you know it seems likely that it isn't just um, people who don't know what they're doing who have accidents with guns yeah <laughs> yeah because it goes up when the people who know what they're doing are firing guns yeah. the the number of accidents caused by accidental or you know the, the yeah non-supervised or non not people not deliberately shooting each other <laughs> yeah yeah even by people who are deliberate yeah. shooters and in other contexts during those yeah. periods they also looked at firearm related crimes and they stay absolutely constant during those mm -hmm. periods so firearm related crimes go don't go down but yeah. accidental discharges do go down so wow 
So so calling him out for not being a professional by the professional body that is responsible for the increase in in uh, accidental discharges when they're not in a conference. Yeah, doesn't kind of hold water. And it, yeah. and it is I'm I'm somewhat disappointed with the the conspiracy theory hive mind <laughs> because there are so many opportunities for you know disgruntled cameramen going off set and maybe guns being left yeah out and accessible over lunch there have also been claims there have been people who have doctored tweets to suggest that helena hutchins uh tweeted that she had evidence against hillary whoa uh in the days before she was right. killed that her next film was that the next project she was going to be working on is a film about paedophiles in Hollywood. Of course, yeah. And that's why she's been been taken out. Even people saying that she was kind of the leader of the union that were that were complaining. Yeah. And as the producer on the film, uh, that's why Alec Baldwin shot her, so he didn't have to basically negotiate with the union or something. Yeah, because it's, it's a much, much Yeah, it's more much easier, yeah. Reason- yeah. yeah, it's a much more reasonable... <sighs> Yeah, there's no strings attached to doing that, yeah. are there? But one thing that's wow. happening in Hollywood, which doesn't happen when, um, you know, there are mass shootings and, and yep. all that kind of stuff, is yep. they are looking at this and taking it seriously and thinking, okay, what changes do we need to make? Yeah. Um, yep. Because while blank firing guns are the best way to get something that looks good on camera, they're not the only way. Yeah. Um, and lots of... Uh, film companies are now talking about just completely banning anything that fires a projectile now. Um, and own, like uh, The Rookie, the ABC TV show, which is about police, they they have now said they will only be using rubber guns and airsoft guns. They will not fire blanks. And they'll just put it all in, on in yep. post. If they need to put muzzle flashes well. on, they'll do it in post. They'll yep. just deal with it. If it makes it harder, if it makes it more expensive, whatever, it's about safety. Yeah, and I've and I've seen this from other um, you know organisations and and companies, production companies as well, saying, uh, you know, yeah, we it is it is harder but doable to do it in post. Yeah, and so that's kind of a global better. a global filmmaking world reaction to that within days. Yeah, which you know, countless bloody school yeah. shootings or whatever made no difference whatsoever and, uh, yeah and, and by no means do i think it means that that will be the end of blank firing guns on film mm. sets at all because they are still absolutely the best and easiest way to get that effect yeah um and they are also overwhelmingly safe there yeah. have been a, i think four or five injuries in in now what a hundred and 30 years of yeah. making film yeah yeah um based on on this problem and and the you know a few of those were in the kind of the early days um yeah so it is it is terrible that this has happened but it is not an, an indictment of alec baldwin or of the film industry in general being kind of you know not safe or lackluster things that should have happened on this set and and procedures that should have been followed weren't followed. That will be investigated, and things will happen because of it. I suspect, mm. um, and you know, we'll probably get more information in the coming days about what actually did happen and didn't happen that should have. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. 
Given the lacklustre way in which the January 6th Select Committee seems to be following up on enforcing subpoenas, you might be forgiven for thinking they're not doing much. But a Rolling Stone article last week revealed what some of the people involved in planning the protests have been telling the committee. They've detailed dozens of planning meetings in the weeks running up to January 6th where they met with exactly the kinds of congresspeople you would expect, including Madison Cawthorn, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mo Brooks, Lauren Boebert and Paul Gosar. You know, all the ones who've desperately been downplaying the seriousness of the insurrection ever since. You might remember Gosar as such a piece of shit that six of his own siblings campaigned against his election, or maybe you just remember that he's a dentist and therefore an expert on body language. Two of the protest organisers report that Gosar offered them blanket pardons on multiple occasions to encourage the protest objecting to the certification of the election. One said, Our impression was that it was a done deal, that he'd spoken to the President about it in the Oval, in a meeting about pardons, and that our names came up. Both sources claim the planning was restricted to the protest at the White House ellipse and not the events at the Capitol, which kind of makes you wonder what those blanket pardons were supposed to be for. For blankets that that they were wearing on their heads. Given Trump's relationship with the truth, let's face it, it was to a large degree why he was ultimately banned from broadcasting his version of it on social media. It's somewhat ironic that his new social media platform is called Truth Social, yes, in capital letters, announced on Wednesday and due to launch in 2022, it's part of Trump's grand gamble to create a new media empire to compete with Netflix and Disney Plus for streaming TV and even go after Amazon and Google with new cloud hosting services designed to be non-cancellable. Natch, within hours, it was hacked, kind of. A beta version of it was discovered and quickly populated with appropriated faux accounts under the names of Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump, Mike Pence, and even not you, no, not at all, not me, Ron Watkins. Former Republican National Committee official and conservative journalist and Trump's new personal spokesperson, Elizabeth Harrington, excitedly tweeted how she was looking forward to posting her first truth on the network, where you can also read truth, others' truths, onto other, even others' truth feeds, despite the beta testing site being quickly filled with pig poop balls memes. Further truths about the network are hidden in the fine print, whilst being a platform that encourages an open, free and honest global conversation without discriminating against political ideology. Rule 17 states that you're not allowed to harass, annoy, intimidate or threaten anyone who is an employee of the site or one of its agents. Rule 23, that you can't disparage, tarnish or otherwise harm, in our opinion, us and or the site. And Rule 20, which says you can't tweet or truth using excessive capital letters, one of Trump's favourite shouty tactics. On further digging, hackers revealed that the whole entity is run by CEO of China Yungong Holdings Limited as part of Trump Media and Technology Group, TMTG, which also describes TMTG Plus, a streaming service for non-woke entertainment, claiming a massive market opportunity to build a non-cancellable global community and galvanise a conservative media universe. Turns out the whole thing runs off Mastodon, a free open source piece of software, allows people to set up their own social network, which requires anyone who modifies it to make their own source code publicly available and to acknowledge where they got it from. Staunch truther, Trump hasn't, of course, and now Mastodon's founder, Eugene Roshko, is considering legal action. But far be it from us to point out the failings of the doomed enterprise, because that's being mean. And we'll get banned.
Oh, I'm going to get so banned. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping to be banned by now from Frank. Was it Frank's speech? Mike Lindell's oh, yeah, network. Yeah. But Still they haven't not. got it working yet. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Twitter announced last week that according to internal data, their algorithm does tend to amplify right-wing politicians and news sources more than left-wing ones. And I'm sorry to say that it's kind of my fault. Well, not just me, but everyone who just can't help themselves from taking the piss out of Republicans. Researchers at NYU's Centre for Social Media and Politics looked at how frequently various politicians get ratioed. For the non-Twitterers, that means when their tweets get way more replies than retweets, suggesting that people are arguing rather than agreeing with them. Ranking all members of Congress in order, the most ratioed are supposed Democrats, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, but the next 18 in the list are all Republicans. <laughs> and it seems like all this interaction is causing the GOP's message, along with all our pithy, well-thought-out and hilarious responses, to be spread farther and wider. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> You're in with the Magarine crowd. I am. Oh, who's your doctor? You look so well. Why? It's Dr. Stella Emanuel. Oh, yeah, she's great. I can agree the fuck out of everything she says. Masks are useless. She's told us she's effectively used hydroxychloroquine on her patients. Yeah, all makes sense. What's her background before COVID? Oh, proper qualifications. Endometriosis. Oh, yeah. Caused by people dreaming about having sex with demons. Uh-huh. Alien DNA is being used in medical treatments, of course. Scientists are planning to use vaccines to stop people being religious. Mm-hmm. And now she's revealed that the devil has filled the world with clones and they will assassinate those who refuse to take the mark. The vaccine, you mean? Yeah, for sure, the mark of the beast, because the Moderna vaccine contains luciferase, which is the name of the beast. What, you mean the same harmless enzyme luciferase that the active ingredient in fireflies that isn't actually in Moderna? No, everything about this vaccine is 666. Yeah, yeah, the, the number of the beast. Yeah, that's right. Isn't she amazing? She's out of her bleeding mind. Hey, where are you going? Look. With medics like her, how are we going to bring down Fauci? No, come back. We need to. We're going to make it all great again. Again. Yeah. Clones of who? I know. Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> like For clones self? of the devil? Clo I know. It's, it's filled the world with clones. And it's so I guess why can't the devil just assassinate the people himself? Is he yeah, too busy? Yeah, why have you got to have a, a clone? So fucking weird. And is it... And, uh, they're all like Agent Smith. That's what it is. Uh -huh. And you'd go, yeah, yeah. because they just go, well, how do you know they're a clone? Well, they all look alike. <laughs> yeah, okay, but what? who do mm. they look alike? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huh. Mm. <laughs> you know how sometimes you're working on a group project at work or in college and there's one member of the group that wants to do things a bit differently and kind of makes it weird? Well, four parents have banded together to sue the Bucks County, Pennsylvania school district in an attempt to fight the district's mask mandate. Three of the parents talk about their family's philosophical objections to mask wearing and cite problems their children have faced, including difficulty breathing, depression, anxiety and migraines, all of which they attribute to the mask requirement. The fourth parent, Shannon Harris, echoes some of her co-litigants' claims and adds... The Harris family identify as Christian and believe that it is against God's will to wear masks because wearing masks interferes with their religious duty to spread the word of God and forces them to participate in a satanic ritual. She doesn't go into detail on which satanic ritual her kids feel compelled to perform purely due to the small piece of fabric on their face, but the lawsuit was already total bullshit before they added the batshit, so it's not really going to make much difference. 
Okay, interferes with her religious duty. You go, oh yeah, how's it? Yeah, because you can't talk through. Spread the word of God. Yeah, and then it escalates to, (laughs) and subsequently forces them to participate in a centre. Yeah, I presume what happens is they just kept. Because they're wearing masks, yeah. they get caught up in a crowd of Satanists who are all off to perform a ritual. Yeah. And, like, you know, just... They don't recognise them. It would be rude not to yeah, do rude. it too. <laughs> you can't kind of stick your hand up and they just go, well, yeah, sure. Oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what masks are they wearing? <laughs> KKK hoods? What? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Or things with, like, horns on the side <laughs> or something. Yeah. Democrat Terry McAuliffe is renewing his bid to be governor of Virginia, having been that from 2014 to 18. Slavering Trump acolyte Republican Glenn Youngkin is up against him. Glenn pretty much needs all the help he can get if he's going to prevent McAuliffe getting in in an election viewed as a bellwether for the Democrats' party's chances of hanging on to their congressional majorities in the 2022 midterms. So who's weighed in to back Youngkin but Rudy Giuliani? Fresh from his um, astonishing impression of the Queen of England lying about something, he's posted a video using a face filter of Abe Lincoln to lie about the old debunked claim made against McAuliffe when he was chairman of the DNC during the Clinton administration. In another, if not the same, well, several execrable accents, he exhorts Virginia to vote against the man who dishonoured our past by selling my bedroom hundreds and hundreds of times to scoundrels in a pay-for-play scheme. In my time, we had a name for men who sold bedrooms for one night. In your time, the name is Terry McAuliffe. End the Clinton sleaze once and for all. Patricia Arquette is quick to point out, you couldn't help but go all Adolf at the end, right? And Frank Lesser wrote, congrats, Rudy. This is the second worst thing a bad actor did to Lincoln. (laughs) Needless to say, Mr. Youngkin, with friends like Rudy, I wouldn't want to hang about the Ford's Theatre either. And incidentally, if you're listening to this in Virginia on the day that it comes out, today is the day you need to go and vote. In case one piece of North American science-denying parental protest news wasn't enough for you this week, we bring you the anti-vaccination parents of Guelph, Ontario, a dozen of whom plan to disrupt a school board meeting to protest about the district's vaccination policy regarding school sports. They arrived in the parking lot of the school board's office at 6.30 last Tuesday and discovered that the meeting, which was being held over Zoom, had already been going on for half an hour, having started as scheduled at 6. The protesters ended up just holding signs up outside the window, which said things like, the jab won't make a better player, which suggests they really missed the point of the vaccinations before everybody left having only wasted their own time. (laughs) Here in the UK, we've had a new budget announcement. All were agog at what it would hold. Would the rich get taxed and the poor get helped? Nope. Chancellor Rishi Sunak made a lot of announcements which involved Corbyn's side's socialist allocations of money to health, education and the police. So shocked were we that nobody noticed he was simply using the end of COVID as cover to reintroduce funding for the very sectors that had been cut by more than he was giving them over the last decade and a half by the same government. The voters, however, will love it, because human psychology being what it is, we can't remember that we used to be able to afford to put the heating up to 25 degrees this time last year, but now we're just so grateful that because of Rishi, we can just put the heating up to 20 from the freezing, measly 15 we were able to last week. 
bloody Labour would be spending billions then taxing the rich to claw it back, not like the fiscally responsible Tories spending uh, billions and taxing middle-income earners till their pips squeak again. Hot on the heels of a removal of the fuel duty being applied to passengers taking internal flights, the entire cabinet flew to Glasgow for the COP26 environmental summit, where Boris said, we must all act together now or it all fails, which basically gives him the out for not following up on any of his promises, whilst blaming those countries in the global south who are suffering the effects of the fortune-making industrialisation that they were never a part of for not doing their bit by not shutting up about support and remuneration. Greta, of course, went by train, but has not been invited to speak. After all, what does she know of contemporary environmental commentators like Kermit the Frog? She's too damn young and naive. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com. And if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our strawman-level patrons Kaz Tui, Steve Bickle, Schmutz, Mark Reiki, and Amber R. Buchanan, and our true Scotsman-level patrons Max Beaver and our top patron Lauren. Thanks very much for patronising us so beautifully. We really do appreciate your support. And you can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by The Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. Glenn pretty much needs all the help he can get if he's going to prevent, if he's going to prevent McAuliffe getting in in an election viewed as bellwether for the Democrat Party's chances of for the Democratic Party's for the Democratic Party's chances of hanging on to their congressional to Yeah. I'll come in again. <laughs> Amongst our weaponry. Oh such diverse elements as fear, surprise, and almost nice red uniforms. Oh